haven't come up with my intro or anything like that yet, so I'll probably yeah. just do that later. No um, um, It's really embarrassing that you haven't planned this all out. I mean, I have 14 pages, but it's all just <laughs> transcripts of my journals. And then some pictures because I got tired of writing. Oh, I um, love it. Okay. <gasps> kind of nervous. I am too. Uh, why are you nervous? I'm not nervous to talk to you. I'm, like, mm. nervous about making sure that I am articulate enough where people understand my point of view without judging my point of view. I feel the same way, because um, this is a topic that is on my mind a lot and, and out of my mouth a lot. Same for you, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to want so desperately to understand other people and to be understood. Right. And then to sometimes not receive that. And then also, like, this also this solidifies, like, a point of view that I've been really struggling to, like, it's very nebulous, right? And, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like nailing jello to a tree. And sure. I'm like, yeah, some of the jello will get there, but, like, is the rest of it edible? Sort Me- of thing. Messy, yeah. Yeah, messy and just, like, kind of convoluted. And, right. Um, you know, I'm still in flux for a lot of these takes and ideas. And- Not having answers, just having more questions. Yeah. The more we explore this topic and other topics. Um, so... Let's 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 introduce you. Um, pe- people know me, I guess, and I, I suppose our loyal listeners uh, would already know you anyway. But just for those who don't, <laughs> say what you feel is relevant about yourself. My name, I guess. Yeah. Like my full name. Yeah. My Christian name. Your Christian name. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Ashley Nicole Richardson. Friend of the pod. True. First time guest. Um, yeah. Very excited about being on the pod and discussing this with Tyler. I think that's all people should know. I think that's know. fair. Yeah, I'm more of an open book, so, uh, you know. Tyler and I know each other through Luna and after mm-hmm. teaching together for about six years, and yeah. I think Tyler could probably <laughs> give you a better approximation of our friendship and its evolution. I remember I remember um, not getting along at first. Uh, and it was mostly I, on me. It I, was 100% on me. I'm willing to accept that my Muppet-like energy might not be what everyone <laughs> is into at all times. I think you had an earnestness that by the time that I was in year seven of teaching, I mm. found not realistic. Uh-huh. And it, it wasn't really fair to you. It's more my own. I was probably pretty jaded from teaching, but also deep in the throes of depression mm-hmm. and didn't really have a whole lot of joy myself. So to see Tyler is such an animated, joyful creature, which I find <laughs> endearing and lovely now. Sure. But I remember... I remember, like, on the third or fourth day of PD, you just had such an idealistic view of, like, how you're going to change the world, which is admirable to mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And to, like, also maintain that mm-hmm. level of idealism is really difficult in any profession. <laughs> and I think yeah. by year six or seven, I was like, I come here, I do the thing, I teach the thing, and then I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was desperately trying to figure out work-life balance. And you were like, forget work-life balance. Yeah. <laughs> teaching is life yeah uh, but yeah. now that i'm in year nine i don't even know how much of that is still true right like i still yeah. want to fix things but it's just i understand now i think like it's very exhausting yeah i don't think it was fair to you to be like dismissive i That's think fair. like it's really well intended and like lovely to see we need especially in teaching we need people that are excited and idealistic because you, it really does wear you down pretty quickly but I think teaching and I think I was a part of that and a problem of that eats its young we break the spirit pretty quickly and I think if I was to go back in the classroom I'd actually want to work with a lot of first and second year teachers to help nurture and mentor that kind mm-hmm. of how do you how do you balance like your idealism and your passion for a truly noble endeavor yeah. <laughs> without being just completely pummeled all the time and it doesn't help if the pummeling is coming from your colleagues 
you've, you've certainly changed a lot. I know I, I definitely have. I mean, I don't look 16 anymore. I look at least 19 or 20. Um, I mean, 24 on you, a good day. You've become a very soft and kind person, mm-hmm. I think, Thanks. over the, I guess, now uh, nine years, I believe, that I've known you. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. And I remember my first, Im- my, among my first impressions was like, she's the smartest person I've ever met. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you met Ted Diddy. <laughs> and then I was like, wow. I think one of the things I've learned has like to be responsible for the energy I bring to a room. Mm. Getting therapy really helps that a lot. Also, like, I mean, just with age and understanding of being like, everyone's just trying their best on this like planet. We're like spinning on a rock in space. Um, I appreciate you saying that about me. I've I've made a really concerted effort to try to be the person that I know who I am on the inside and that at the time, if you hadn't worked with me, if you were my friend, you would have been like, oh, Ashley's so kind hearted and empathetic. Mm -hmm. It just felt like, I was exhausting all of that for students and like I didn't have any left not only for the people around me but for myself I was highly critical of myself and I was holding myself to this bar that wasn't one sustainable and two wasn't fair to the other people around me what an intro right what a girl what a girl we all set out to do things and change things and try things and few of us succeed but you have you have succeeded in this in this This one endeavor yeah Yeah, I've made it basically hired like an emergency like a crisis PR firm and like did some cleanup of my image sure sure scrub the internet all those nudes you know Uh, speaking of purity, um, <laughs> so we, other than having taught together for a number of years, there are other things that we share, um, yeah. uh, a deep love for Titanic. We also have a strong kinship towards King of the Hill. We do love King um, of the Hill. And I have in the past toyed with a pod called King of the Chill, uh, which we just discussed that. Uh, but before we lose everyone, let's, yeah. uh, so, so <laughs> we, we are discussing, I think, probably maybe the most important um, commonality, uh, shared experience in some ways, mm-hmm. um, something that's certainly on the mind more than mm-hmm. King of the Hill or the Titanic or even, in some cases, teaching um, for me. And it's, it's this idea of having grown up in, in a conservative evangelical church, um, and in the sort of corresponding communities and and with the people of the church and what that has meant for us all the way from being children to, to who we are today and how we, we hear this word deconstruction that a lot of people use. Um, and when I first heard that word, you're deconstructing evangelicalism. And I guess that, that means you're, you're not deconstructing the faith, mm-hmm. right? You're not rejecting Christianity necessarily. You're not rejecting Jesus. You're sort of taking out these parts that are more political right of which sort of the christian church in america has really become Mm. um and when i first heard the word deconstruction or i saw it on twitter and i saw exvangelical rather than evangelical i remember thinking like like reading through these threads and reading through people's stories of how they were going through this process and i had never heard of it before five or so years ago and i remember thinking like oh wow i thought i was the only one going through that (laughs) and there's a whole name for it you know what I mean and so it was interesting to see there were other people um, that are kind of going through the same thing how did that make you feel by the way when you you saw that other people were having these same stirrings and doubts and like revelations in their own faith journey Mm -hmm. how did that make you feel you know it's weird because one of the things you unpack about about growing up in an evangelical church is the idea of guilt Uh, and to be completely honest I felt a little bit guilty Mm. because I was like no I'm supposed to believe these exact things the way that I was told and I'm not supposed to question it or doubt it Um, and so I in my very first episode that I did and then I've also said this many times as well is the as I you know as I grew older throughout high school college and and career as I um, as I 
my politics changed because of the world that I saw around me and I realized mm-hmm. no maybe I'm not a George Bush conservative right mm-hmm. like maybe there are other ideas I agree with and one of the biggest things that, that, that hit me at that time was I had no intention of rejecting God or rejecting my faith my fear was that God would reject me because I was a so-called liberal or whatever and that was a really that was a really lonely place to be it felt like I was I felt like I was living up to all the threats and fears that were instilled in me as a kid that like oh if you if you're if you vote for a democrat you're going to hell you know and, and these things were made synonymous with each other right America equals Christian equals Republican equals conservative right. Um, equals right and and everything else is wrong and and mm. sinful and bad and I'm sorry, the world's just way more complicated than that. I'm sure that was really painful. It actually made mm. me tear up hearing you talk about that because I yeah. have a very similar, where it just felt so lonely, where you're like, I, I remember the first time that I saw, I think, deconstruction and the notion of it was like, you know, again, probably five or six years ago, I'm pretty new to the the whole unpacking faith journey. And I remember the first couple times I saw it, there was both a concurrent feeling of both guilt but also liberation Mm, Um, mm -hmm. and it's really an odd place to be in like feeling when you have those two things that are kind of going through your nervous system at the same time and you're trying to figure out all the pieces and a lot of it has been consciously and subconsciously conditioned into me about you don't vote republican then you're not upholding god's word you're not part of god's army Um, Mm -hmm. And we can talk all about the militization of religion and Uh how it's not, especially the current iteration loves to point fingers at other religions and talk about terrorist attacks, but Christianity has its own very long and very modern history of weaponizing religion in the Mm -hmm. name of God. What is, in your mind, the meaning of evangelical, Mm -hmm. but then also... What, what does it come to mean in our society? Oh, gosh, what a long and storied history. So I'm fairly certain evangelical means good news um, and follower of Christ. Like, in its purest form, I think mm-hmm. that's what the word is supposed to mean. To me, that would entail someone who is trying their best in very flawed and broken systems to be good humans, to follow the outline of what Jesus has laid out for Christians and what we're called to be, and still acknowledge like hey all of us are imperfect beings trying to Mm -hmm. do something imperfectly and like we're all bound to mess up i think what it's turned into is a platform to wield power and to ensure conspicuous consumption Mm -hmm. of christian culture the current the way that current christian evangelicalism has morphed and kind of slithered its way into the mainstream um and also used scripture as a means to to ensure power Mm. over not only women in marginalized communities, but it also has incredibly negative effects on predominantly white men. And I say that not to wield a huge generalization, but like the the face of evangelical leadership for the most part is white older men. They also are affected negatively by evangelicalism um, and by uh, what is the... Complete Americanism, complete Amer- like that yeah. entire long word of um, oh, com- complementarianism. Complementarianism, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Where like, those gender roles also have incredibly negative effects for men. So I think evangelicalism, at least in the United States, man, it's just like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've both read and have listened to countless books and podcasts on just unpacking what that current political movement is. And that's really mm-hmm. kind of what it's become. It's, um, you know, more of a political moment cloaking as a church movement. Uh, The way that we like to say, you know, one of our former employees is really a real estate developer in the education business. 
it seems like evangelicals are more of a how can we mesh both God and power and make sure that we are serving God but also serving Caesar in our direction. Yeah, uh, that's a reflection I've had really in the last, really during the Trump years especially, but mm-hmm. but more recently as well, is that American Christianity and American evangelicalism it has so little to do with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It has so much to do with patriotism and this idea that we are chosen and then I don't know, that whole idea of Christian nationalism, like, that doesn't really vibe with uh, my study of the Bible, which it admittedly is, like, I'm no scholar, I'm no expert, but right. but I can I can read and I can ask questions. Right. Um, I guess that should have been our disclaimer at the top, that neither myself nor Tyler are mm-hmm. theological, scho- theological scholars, uh, mm-hmm. nor uh, PhD-level historians, but we are just mm-hmm. two people who like to talk about deep things mm-hmm. and do the best we can. As we should, because I, as, as we said, I think we should wrestle with these ideas, uh, whether it's our politics or our faith or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so in regards to evangelical as well, um, I agree with you completely. I remember I'm guilty of using evangelical almost as a, as a pejorative. That's a word, right? Like a negative? Yeah, pejorative. Your, yeah. your vocabulary is better than mine. Yeah, but I can't pronounce things. Pejorative. <laughs> I have it as a context of these these people who I do not see as living a life like Jesus. Mm. And again, I'm not you know it's not my my place to judge anyone's faith or life or whatever. But right. And we'll get into this later. But it is kind of hard to grow up being told a certain thing by the members of the church and then see them do the opposite. But an ev- evangelical is anyone who wants to spread the word of God. Mm. And that doesn't just mean through words. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. So um, I love you know, that reframing. Like, right. it, I think I've also fallen in that camp too. Of like, when I see evangelical, I automatically it's my own biasy that I need to work through. Yeah, same. Of having a negative connotation, it's not fair to the people that follow it or that do rightfully and, and joyfully declare themselves as evangelical. Mm-hmm. I also tend to see myself do that with cons- the word conservative in general too. And, same. Again, it's such a wide spectrum. I think that's maybe what's so hard to kind of sum up. Who am I to say who is Christian and who's not? Who am I to then have this judgment? So then there's an, another additional layer that guilt and shame come up of like, yep. oh shit, not only am I looking at evangelicals um, in a certain lens, but now I'm also judging my like brothers and sisters in Christ. Exactly. And now I've like committed this great sin and like now I need to repent. And then of course my like you know residual lizard brain from like ninth grade sunday school was like well they're also being sinners because like like i feel the need to be like the neighborhood watch of christ where i'm gonna like (laughs) point out everyone's flaws which comes from one being conditioned to do that and to Mm -hmm. be like the big brother where you're gonna like watch everyone and hold them accountable especially and we can talk more about this but especially young women are really conditioned in the church to be like the eyes and ears of the church and not to be stumbling blocks for young men in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that then lends itself to be very, what you would think as like righteously vigilant Mm -hmm. about looking for other people's sins because there, there's so much on the line. Salvation's on the line. Right. Um, But it's not really conducive to you growing in a way that is spiritually nourishing. Mm -hmm. And it also just like, it's a bad look, right? Like, you don't want to yeah. be the person that's, like, writing down everyone's sins at, like, Sunday school. Of like, well, I saw Tyler last night. Not only was he wearing a shirt of two different fibers, but, like, <laughs> he was, like, flirting with a girl. And I saw yeah. him sneak into a movie. He didn't pay. For, you know, like, there's this accumulation of, like, does God really care? Um, well, yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, this idea like, of, like, what does God actually like, probably care is, about? Does God not? really care that 14-year-old Tyler Reeves snuck in to see, like, an R-rated movie? Sure. Um, my bet's on No. Yeah. But, again, it's something that I still do wrestle with, of, like, these vestiges of 
just conditioning and like everything that I took in from you know from pre-k until 12th grade yeah there's a lot to be said about um like being very young and impressionable and what you learn and how it sticks and how it takes time to unlearn things that you should unlearn Mm. uh, and what you should also hold on to and that's the other thing that I think is important to note about um, perhaps both of our continued wrestling and continued struggle with with faith and with this sort of deconstruction is it's not a total rejection it's it's holding on to the things that that are meaningful to us and that Mm. do represent the faith that I believe we were raised on Mm -hmm. um, but separating out the other things and, and, and kind of honoring the whole process along the way because to to just be people that claim to have all the answers, that's not going to work either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, if you were, like, tuning into this so that you could get some, like, profound insights on, like, the Seven Seals or, like, sure. Tyler and Ashley's take on like, <laughs> on, like, the province of the Gospels, like, this is not the pod for you. No. I... Tell me about just generally growing up in the church and what <sighs> that was like for you. So yeah. if you need some sentence stems... Uh, during a, during <laughs> you Awana, know I love an accommodation. <laughs> during during Awana, I uh, um, or um, when I was not reading Harry Potter because that was witchcraft. Um, yeah, funnily enough, my parents there was very few restrictions on what we could and could not read. Just as an aside, there, mm-hmm. um, I would definitely call my upbringing in the church like uh, a tale of VBS and Veggie Tales. One hundred percent was. My family attended church sporadically. I don't really, and it could be just faulty memory. Um, I don't remember a lot K through fifth, but it was mostly middle school through high school that I remember the most of. Um, Me too. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Like, I, I think maybe I just, we like we went to church, I went to VBS, we did stuff at the church, but it was never really driven home. And I think maybe sixth through 12th grade, I realized like, oh, this is the blueprint. This is how you get into heaven. Mm. And, um, I was really raised on pretty, especially, and I think just as a whole, we really raised children on very sanitized and binary interpretations of biblical understanding. So Mm -hmm. I was never really given a full robust understanding of a lot of the old Testament or when I would push back and like ask about, I remember Noah's Ark, like fourth or fifth grade, I was pretty dubious. I'm like, every animal in the world <laughs> right. was on one boat and they didn't kill each other. And, you know, usually it was kind of, um, it was always explained away with very simplistic, you know, quotes or, or understanding. And I, my, I think really a lot of my upbringing, I ingested a lot of Christian media mm-hmm. um, at home. Uh, in my friend group and then at church itself, like a lot of James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, Pat Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, the whole family research council in Dobson, oh, Lord. Tim Keller, who hilariously enough now, I thought Tim Keller was just like such a progressive. Like I just thought he was mm-hmm. <laughs> like really playing with fire, but I would read some of Tim Keller's stuff. Um, and then of course, Charles Swindell. Focus on the family. I specifically remember the clips coming on Houston Christian Radio is KSBJ. God listens. Ours was K Love. Yeah, yeah, and so I remember like James Dobson coming on, and my parents both really liked James Dobson. It wasn't until recently that I found out that James Dobson wasn't even um, had any theological training. He huh. was just a psychiatrist, just like us. Uh, yeah, yeah, I will say he did get a PhD from USC in the '60s, but he was. It kind of, it actually made me a little mad when I heard, when I learned that Dobson wasn't a theological expert or minister or anything like that, because his whole premise was Christian 
parenting and, and child rearing and but a lot of it had to do mm-hmm. with how I interacted with other people, how my parents parented me, how I went to church. Everyone at church listened to it. Um, was this the same guy as the Total Transformation Program? Do you know what that is? I'm vaguely aware. Okay. Yeah. So for for <laughs> for those who weren't there for my youth, <laughs> I was a little asshole. Yeah. Because I just had questions like you, right? And uh, <laughs> and I I, t- I would talk back, and I wanted my mother to give me reasons why I was in trouble. Um, and I like was not an easy child to raise and continue to not be an easy adult to uh, <laughs> for, for, for anyone older than me, parents aged to engage with. Um, but there was one, I think it must have been early high school. And yeah, I was, I was just, I was a little prick. And for whatever reason, I don't even remember, my mother brought home this like total transformation program uh, that was like a box set. It was like a DVD and book box set, mm. right? And she's like we're going to straighten you out. We're going to do something about this. And I just laughed. It's like, it was so, so rude and mean. And I just laughed about it. And I like took a picture with the box and like, I'll have to find the picture. And I posted it like on Facebook or something. And I was I like, look it. what my mom's going to try on me. It's not going to work. Yeah. And guess what? It didn't. And look at me now. Yeah, not, look at it's you not, now. It's not great. Um, the face of Antifa. <laughs> and so the ch- um, growing up in the church is very interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that is. Jay it's got to be the same guy. Yeah. I mean, so I think going into middle school and high school, I was, uh, I went to church every Sunday, was active in youth group, mm-hmm. um, was in Campus Crusade for Christ and Fellowship of Christian Athletes on oh, campus, yeah. Yeah. had a true love weights ring. I remember specifically, and like, I mean, the whole absence program, I was, I grew up in Texas, uh-huh. um, absence only education was the only education I received in terms of sexual education and health. Mm-hmm. Um, that also was subsidized by the government to like the tune of millions of dollars because both Reagan, Clinton, and Bush continued to push and kind of were in cahoots with sure. um, more right-leaning organizations to promote abstinence. Um, I, of course, did not know that at the time. Yeah, but, just peaches uh, and eggplants. Yeah, absolutely. I remember reading I Kiss Dating Goodbye when I was probably oh, yeah. in sixth or seventh grade and being like, oh, this is what God's calling me to do, which is funny because Joshua Harris is now kind of like recanted a lot of that. Um, but he kind of was the face of the purity movement. And I remember specifically in like ninth or 10th grade, like praying to God that he would send me like, you know, a good hearted boy that had a servant's heart. Cause that was the code uh-huh. then, um, uh-huh. used to be like spiritual head of house, I think sure. in the seventies and eighties, but then like by the late nineties, early aughts, I think it was like, we need servant leadership and servant hearts. And sure. we want men with servant hearts. And I remember being like, Oh my gosh, I want a husband with a servant heart who will go to promise keepers mm-hmm. and do all these things. And, you know, really what, how I was, how it was reinforced at home and then at, at church primarily was that doubts weren't permitted whatsoever. If you expressed doubt uh-huh. or you had questions, it indicated that you had a faithfulness and an inadequate understanding of God. Um, and when you and I pushed back and I, it was the, the, a lot of it was like weaponized Bible verses, kind of like these mm. proof texts of being like, oh, well, can you explain to me, like, why does God let bad things happen? And, you know, they would point to a specific text and be like, here's the proof, very literal interpretation of the right, Bible. Right. And to me, it just felt like really intellectually bankrupt. Uh-huh. I I think, uh, you know, I was generally searching for like hard hitting answers. And instead we were treating the Ten Commandments like it was a BuzzFeed listicle. <laughs> and like, we're just going to check these things off. So I think... What happened to me is, 
from both homeschool and church is I learned how to perform Christianity very Um. well. And I was praised for that performative aspect because... I went to like the DC Talk concert and I went to the mm. National Youth Gatherings and I volunteered and I led prayer at FCA and I, I you know, would, I had this true love weights ring and I would like carry my Bible with me and mm-hmm. I, I was the kid that had like a Bible verse on their Letterman jacket on the tail. Like I was that annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I look back and kind of cringe and I, I wish people could have met me in high school and like see me now because it literally is a 180 degree transformation of like the things that I believed and thought and aligned myself with are just so wholly different. Um, and there was also, of course, like the modesty rules, like purity oh, culture huh. hit me pretty hard. And as a girl who had a pretty large <laughs> bosom, <laughs> don't, um, don't we all? There's just like no way to cover that up, uh-huh. and then to kind of get this reinforcement that like you're dirty and you're causing like, causing your brothers mm. in Christ to stumble. I think like that did a lot of damage long term, um, and like I, I even like can remember going on mission trips and being like I had like a very small V neck shirt and my like youth minister being like that's too you know that's too immodest, um, Jesus. and when I bent over you could see like the top of my clavicle you know it wasn't uh-huh. anything really that low. Um, it was always interesting to me even then of that we weren't teaching our boys to have more integrity which I should say also is very difficult to do during Mm -hmm. puberty with hormones like I want to there's a very like medical imperative there that needs to be discussed but also it was always falling on the girls Um, but we weren't allowed to preach or lead or teach which is why yeah that's a dichotomy and that's a contradiction to the whole like head of household spiritual leader kind of thing it's like if someone is supposed to be the leader then like maybe it should be the guys who are like holding that moral line of like right. not idolizing and objectifying women because right. of what they look like and you even see that like perpetuated now of this idea of, i mean like i think the only way to really describe it is like talking from the bottom at this sure. point like <laughs> okay well women can't you know lead prayers or like teach or do all these other things but you know they're going to be the ones that like set the bar where like sexual integrity goes uh-huh uh-huh. And, like, they're fully responsible for that. It, it probably wasn't until I left for college and I went to a very different church. And I should say, like, the church that I went to, it really wasn't... The church that I attended wasn't that conservative. It was the <laughs> accoutrement, I should say, sure. surrounding the church where everyone at the church, you know, listened to Focus on the Family. Everyone um, subscribed to these, like, very binary interpretations where you either believe or you don't and if you believe then you didn't ask questions mm-hmm. um and you believed that the bible was infallible and that it was the literal written word of god mm-hmm. um and to question any of that was to question god and the nature of god um which was never you know necessarily encouraged i think i had friends that you know at the time i had friends that were both jewish and mormon and uh, not jewish and mormon i had friends respectively jewish sure. and mormon and you know, my, I always thought my Mormon friends were so devout because they got up every morning at, like, 6 a.m. and they prayed with their families. And I remember, I remember, like, earnestly praying in high school, like, please, God, like, give me a husband that will, like, pray over me and, like, direct me yeah. and all the, like, that I, and it's kind of funny because, like, I could not want anything further than that right now. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want a husband that's going to necessarily pray over me and be the spiritual head of house. Sure. I'm quite capable. And also, like, gosh, what a burden for men. Like, right. To, I, I can't imagine, like, the immense responsibility you would feel knowing that your family's spirituality is in your hands. And if you don't, it's a an unsustainable burden to bear. Mm-hmm. And 
it's no wonder that there's so many issues with that. I can go deeper, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the big snapshot. I think once I got into college, I went to a different church. And then after college, when I moved to Dallas, I think, I I mean, I went to Oakland UMC and Mm. Munger UMC, um, and was like refreshingly surprised because they, I mean, UMC in general is a little bit more progressive. Mm. And then, of course, now as like a fully grown adult, and I guess I'm an adult at 35. I would say um, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I now go to an Episcopal church, so I'm kind of like yeah. all over the map. I, I tend to really like Episcopal services because they are very conservative in like the mm-hmm. process and like the the, the actual service the itself. liturgy and such. Yeah, but yeah. the theology is very progressive yeah which again is not sinful or bad um there yeah. are tons and tons of different interpretations of the bible and who's to say that i mean i hail from from southern baptists and i'm i don't think a bunch of white people in louisiana are the only ones throughout what? all of human history past present and future who got it right yeah. like i just can't accept well, that if they did if they had gotten it right new orleans wouldn't have been hit with katrina that's true because um, weather patterns are god punishing us yes Lots yeah. of sins down there. Um, <laughs> so, it, I, I go to uh, Oakland UMC as well now. I yeah. told you that. Um, I was always really... I went to Oakland probably for the a good chunk of time there. I was always really impressed because I felt like Oakland was one of the few churches that was kind of practicing what they preach. Yeah, I mean, there's a homeless shelter in the building. Yeah, um, and they were opening when Dallas was experiencing like very hot or very cold weather. They were opening it. Um opening up like the you know the chapel and just like their buildings to get people off the street and Mm -hmm. i felt like yeah we should be practicing what i I think like primarily for me now um thinking about like my connection to faith is like we growing up there was so much emphasis on like christ paid for your sins christ has been Mm -hmm. crucified Mm -hmm. and there's such a huge underscoring and i don't want to like negate you know the value of Christ's crucifixion, especially in conjunction to, like, the Christian faith tradition. It's like, you wouldn't have Christianity without the crucifixion. Yeah. But we spend so much time pointing at the cross and, like, using it as this carte blanche to kind of propagate power and wield it as so. But we we don't spend a lot of time emphasizing how Jesus actually lived and looking at how he lived as a blueprint for how we should live. That's exactly what was, what I have come to rely on in my more recent years of, of, I, don't even, I can't even really call myself a Christian because of sometimes what that connotation is. So I, I usually say follower of Christ mm. uh, because I think it's, or follower of Jesus, because mm. I think it's, it just identifies more with, with kind of where I've landed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gr- growing up in the church was uh, similar to you in a lot of ways is, is that was, that was, that was home. Mm. Um, and I should say like, cause I've had many conversations with my parents over the years about this and I never want them to feel as though they did something wrong because I do believe most people, especially them, everyone's just doing the best they can with the tools mm-hmm. they have uh, and doing what they think is right. And you right. can't fault them for you can't fault a good faith effort. No. Yes, I have legitimate right. like traumas because of the ways that I was raised right. and how I unpack the church now and different things. That's not their fault. Yeah. It's not. The only thing that would be a fault is not hearing me out now. You know what I mean? Mm, I um, agree. Yeah, and I think often too like in a way that teachers often teach the way that they were taught. Yeah. Um, without, and sometimes teachers teach for a very long time and they don't really do a gut check of like, is this still the best way? Right. Parents often parent the way they were parent or yeah. they also reciprocate um, their understanding of the world without a whole lot of introspection mm-hmm. or, or any kind mm-hmm. of reflection. I love that you give them so much empathy. I think, yeah. I think it's really important to do because 
shockingly, like, even after we <laughs> air this and it's, like, we're also going to have our own, you know, pieces that we move back and forth on and are constantly fluid and, and shifting. Yeah, and that's, absolutely. we're a nation that really values people that are very firm in their stances. And mm-hmm. we often ridicule politicians for being flip-floppers, but I think it's actually a good thing to be a flip-flopper. It means you responded to some something that made you change your mind. Exactly. And, you know, there's a difference between being, like, flimsy in your values versus like actually hearing a different perspective and then and, and changing what you right. based on that seeing you know? some new evidence and being right. like hey this this actually caused a lot of irreparable harm how can we yeah. shift the narrative and i think you know i i'm i have been like kind of optimistic i have seen churches be held accountable for trauma they've inflicted mm-hmm. um, a lot of huge reports are coming out yeah. um of pretty horrendous cover-ups and i do think that you know, there was their only kind of Me Too reckoning uh, within the church world as well. I think there is a shift, but in terms of that shift, I do think there's a ton of churches that are still operating as business as usual. Um, racial reckoning and racial mm-hmm. reconciliation are not always like priority number one for a lot of at least southern churches that I've been in. I definitely grew up in a primarily like white uh, suburb church. We had a handful of people of color. They were not in positions of authority. Sure. Um, or leadership, which I think there also was no female leadership. Um, hmm. So it's interesting now to to go to like Episcopal churches where you have, you know, like one of the clergy members is you know is a woman or they're gay or they're black, and I'm like, oh, that's this is what this should look like, right? Um, because that's the kingdom. Yeah, God, that's the kingdom right? of God. These are all God's children, right? <laughs> yeah. And I have to remind myself of that too. That like when I am critical of people from my past, I have to be reminded that like that's still someone made in God's image, and that's mm. still someone I'm supposed to love, yeah. even if I disagree. The person you so, hate the most is made in God's image. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm I'm really uh, is is as much as I've had to try and figure out how I was brought up in the church, I'm really thankful that I had that experience as a kid. And I mean, really throughout early high school when I kind of started to explore other churches besides my home church, um, never, again, never, never rejecting God and Christianity, but also feeling like I would be rejected by God and his people Mm. because I was, uh, because I adopted a different political stance or, or whatever it happened Mm. to be. But uh, it's interesting that you never, rejected God because I definitely feel like at one point must have been like the rise I want to say like maybe 2012 I remember and I may have just been paying better attention to I'm sure this happened during 08 yeah but in 12 I remember just so much of the hateful rhetoric coming from primarily right-leaning and evangelical minded leaders um about a about President Obama yeah and you know I mean it ran the gamut all of it was rooted in not even dog whistle racism, just full out racism. There is a cat by the microphone, yeah. so uh, the there apologies she goes. to all. There we go. <laughs> and I remember thinking too, and that's I think was like my first little taste of like, oh, there is so much white supremacy wrapped up in Christianity. Yeah. And I think for me, as I started to like definitely evolve politically and in my faith journey, by like 2016, I was like, if these people who represent the church are endorsing this person yes. and it was trump so let me yes. just be very honest 80 percent of evangelical christians i was like there's no way i'm a member of this group well and i think for me for. i th- yeah i think for me it was like all right if these people who i've affiliated myself with or who i had some sort of like communal identity with my entire life if they are endorsing this person who i think is just the antithesis of integrity i like, yeah 
political values aside, sure. just no integrity as a human being. There's no place for me with Jesus because mm. th- these. this is the only interpretation of God and Jesus I know. So then, like, I must not be a good enough believer to join that. And, like, yeah. now I'm kind of ousted from it. And even now I really struggle. I was thinking about this the other day during one of the sermons because the sermon was about, like, where do you feel God? Where do you have prayers? That sort of thing. Very, like, loose kind of hippy-dippy. Sure. I think I cried later that day because I will never have that feeling of being so wholly swept up in God mm. that I had in high school. Where yeah. I felt like I knew all the right things. I checked off all the performative, like, kind of tasks, which, are, again, are not biblically <laughs> driven. These are just, like, all constructs of the church. I thought I felt and knew God on a personal level that I have not experienced since I was in high school. One, I've matured, and obviously some of those belief structures and, like, the scales have fallen from my eyes sort of sure. situation. But I can distinctly remember going to, like, national youth gatherings or going on mission trips and feeling, like, moved by the Spirit and being swept up in it and knowing that God was with me. And I... I have moments where, like, it flickers, but I think now it's just, like, I don't have those, like, full body, full soul buy-in. And I don't know if it's emblematic of youth mm. or emblematic of just the maturation process and, like... It's a loss of innocence, yeah. partly, of having been through, um, and, and, and I can speak to this as well from my own, like, upbringing in the church of being a VBS kid of the vacation Bible school industrial complex, if you will, <laughs> uh, from from not being allowed to read Harry Potter, not mm. because my parents cared, but because they were they were kind of followers of what the community was saying, and the mm-hmm. community said we don't do that. Did you also and, like throw away secular music CDs? Because I, I never did that. had any. Yeah, I had yeah. like a handful. I remember having a, a No Doubt CD. <gasps> And I threw it away because I remember I had gone to, like, an eighth grade. Yeah, that's a one-way ticket to hell. Yeah, absolutely. God is going to really care that I was singing Just a Girl at the top of my lungs in my room. You are just a girl. None of them, the they, them, you know? Yeah, I mean, look at 2 Timothy. Like, we Mm -hmm. should not be speaking in church anyway. Sure, sure, Um, sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, gosh. I mean, Left Behind was my Harry Potter. I was going to say, I read all of Left Behind. Yeah, that's great. I mean. To this day, I'm like. Did you read the Left Behind for kids or the Left Behind for adults? I did. Both of them. Oh, yeah, I read yeah. both of them because I was, like, I think they were series. on accelerated reader points. I was able oh, to, like, yeah. earn points at school for reading them, as I recall. I did, I did too. Yeah. I always called those Ashley Richardson points because that's they funny. were AR no, that's points. Funny. <laughs> uh, I also was, did you guys have Awana? Approved workmen are not ashamed is what it stand for? Yeah, I didn't go to Awana, okay. but I, I do know Awana, I memorized the most Bible verses, which was peak performative, right? You mentioned that. Whereas, like, yeah. I couldn't tell you what the hell this stuff meant. Oh, no. And But I memorized, and the thing is, I was, people were so proud of me for getting the most, it was, it was Christian Cub Scouts, right? You had yeah. the little patches on your little yeah. vest. Uh, Awana's mascot was uh, Sparky, and oh, it looked yeah. like, a, like a team mascot, like in a big <laughs> suit. And I swear, I looked at a picture of Sparky the other day. If I saw that thing in real life, I swear to God, I would open fire. Like, <laughs> that thing is freaky. Well, good news. You can do that, because we love our freedom. <laughs> we, it's, God, Sparky's going down. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I also remember... Careful, because cancel culture is going to get Sparky. Cancel Sparky, yeah. <laughs> but you, you mentioned, like kind of the peak of your memories being in kind of middle school years. Mm. I agree with that. And I, I specifically remember, um, I remember kind of idolizing the guys that taught me Sunday school because mm. we had like guys and girls separate Sunday school. And so to, this is where I was like learning how to be a man. And I wouldn't call it toxic really. Like I, I as I look back on it and reflect on it, yeah. they taught you how to shake hands the right way. 
you know, they taught you how to be respectful. And it right. was it was actually really good stuff. These were the guys that led us at, at, at church camp and right. VBS and, uh, and like, mission trips to, like, Mexico and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just remember looking up to these guys so much. Uh, I don't think any of them specifically are bad guys, but overall it's this kind of feeling lied to by, and you mentioned, like, the Trump Christians and different things and the 80% of evangelicals who support all the things the opposite of what I actually believe and I remember it seemed like the these people or this institution had lied to me mm. about what it meant to follow Jesus because they introduced me to Jesus but then they proceeded to not do any of those things and mm. so then I kind of felt like an idiot because I was like wait you guys told me to love my neighbor you guys told mm. me to accept people and help people around me and so you know I, I, I talk about this a lot and then like my mother will say well you can't rely on people because people aren't God, right? Like, people make mistakes. And I'm like, yes, that's fair. That's true. I totally agree with that. And we were always told that church is fellowship and community. and Also the body of Christ. The body of Christ, right? Like we're yeah. all supposed to be together, and you can't kind of do this independent thing, which is really hard to be a little kid who feels lied to. Mm-hmm. And intellectually, I know that I can't rely on these people anyway, but it doesn't change that I was still a little kid who was told something and then watched those people do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that messes you up. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful to have been raised in the church. Never went trick-or-treating until uh, I was 26, I think. Oh, wow. I had to borrow my friend's kid. Oh, uh, we did. So that, that's kind of maybe like where my family bifurcated. Like we didn't, a lot of it wasn't uh, completely conditioned at home. A lot of it mm-hmm. was more external. And yeah. I mean, I distinctly remember sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I went to Christian haunted houses. <gasps> Um, oh. Which is like the full on like, so and so got pregnant. She had an like abortion. the King of the Hill episode. Yeah, the Hallelujah House. One hundred percent. I've yeah. gone to like multiple of those. I actually performed in one of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you were the angel of death. Pretty much. I yeah. yeah. I, actually, you know, I can't remember what I did. I want to say I was part of one of the drug scenes. <laughs> I, what's funny is yeah, I don't. Look pretty tweaked this should out. tell you my seventh grade memory. Couldn't tell you um, the scope of the scene. I could tell you exactly what I was wearing because uh-huh. it was a it was like one of those cool cargo mini skirts from oh. American Eagle. Yeah, those are great. And I had my Doc Martin flower sandals. <laughs> I've seen those. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like there's a level of betrayal in her and reconciliation with the church itself, um, especially when the people that had promoted such endearing and enduring love to me mm-hmm. then when hit with like hey you know jesus hung out with the repressed jesus mm-hmm. um brought accountability and saw high level systems of oppression happening and called them out yes versus they want to weaponize bible verses and make jesus like he's a rambo navy seal and yeah. he's gonna you know just white republican jesus riding on a bald eagle with an m16 like yeah with his like f450 and he's got like a blue lives matter bumper sticker and a punisher sticker Uh with like truck nuts and you're like what is happening (laughs) jesus driving around and like i it's just like strange to me it's kind of like you're you're reading the same book but like you're just getting completely two different messages out of it yeah, and exactly. which i mean again i'm guilty of my own confirmation bias when i'm mm-hmm. reading things and like looking for interpretation i try to be pretty balanced and i now seek out i would say like pretty progressive evangelical voices that sure. are trying to bring change and um perspective to like an audience that mm-hmm. feels to me to be really resistant to change 
uh, I know, like you and I have talked about this, but like everyone I know in their day-to-day lives are incredibly generous and loving. Um, but when it comes to high-level systems of oppression, they don't see how their vote and their belief uh-huh. um, and their interpretation of God and Jesus um, really falls into that. And they become kind of rank and file of like, well, this person says they're going to ban abortion. So like, let me just become a single-issue voter instead of looking at the scope right. and the impact of a candidate on people that don't look like them. Right. And there's also like so much just history and politics, even just in the last 50 or 60 years. Um, I mean, this is, of course, to note that the Christian church specifically has pretty much never been on the right side of racial <laughs> yeah. or social justice, all the way back to slavery, right. civil rights. Uh, you know, these were the the forefront people of rejecting the changes in the civil rights movement. Um, and then right. you've got you've got Nixon, you've got Reagan, you've kind of got the, you know, the, the Tea Party and it being a particularly conservative Christian organization. Well, like Southern Baptist. Which is notably right. anti-Obama, which, like, fine, whatever. I mean, same. Guys war criminal just like the rest of them. But, like... <laughs> Someone's I, I been reading think, their Chomsky. I, I didn't think <laughs> it, it, Obama was the Antichrist, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, like some would say. It also felt like, you know, the push against Obama felt less about individual bifurcated teams of, like, Democrat versus Republican, uh-huh. and it felt deeply rooted in racism. I agree. Um, and so... You know, for me, that became a wake-up call. I, I, again, I can admit, I was pretty complicit in that perpetuation all the way up until college of, like, not necessarily full-out explicit racism, but I definitely perpetuated it through my own faith mm-hmm. um, and my own worldview. And it wasn't until I was like, oh, I had a little bit more life experience and I had a fully formed prefrontal cortex that mm-hmm. allowed me to, you know, parse nuance. Yeah. Um at a higher rate than I was when I was 18, I, I look back at some of the stuff that was told to me um, in church settings about uh, interracial relationships, <laughs> um, for mm-hmm. example. Those were not, they weren't actively against them, but they had words to say about if yes, white women I, dated I people of color. Uh-huh. Um, or that, like, you know, to go back to purity culture, like, women are damaged goods if they have a sexual partner, mm-hmm. um, including if they were raped, <laughs> yeah. which is a whole other... Which know. the church tends to actively cover up. Yeah. It's not just the Catholics. We right. know this from recent news. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, it's not, it seems to be every congregation. I, to me, that's more, has less to do maybe with religion and more to do with power and organizational power, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just can't... I can't seem to reconcile the people that I grew up with who promoted such love and understanding to like what they've kind of morphed into. And right. on the flip side, they probably say the same about me. <laughs> yeah, I hear like radical, too far gone, stuff like that, especially as I like became more outspoken about these things. But it's like my Jesus was radical. And that's what yeah, I Yeah, and I also, I also think like politically and also politically, especially 2016, yeah. if you were let's say a moderate Christian who was having some questions about your faith, that that entire election cycle should have radicalized you. Right. If you weren't shaken by what was happening in the rise of Christian nationalism and you proclaim yourself to be a follower of Christ and you're not concerned about the current state of Christian nationalism, yeah. you need to look within, my friend. I was, um, and I, I said that with love because it takes a lot of space to look within, but like it's a problem. And I think both of us maybe fall on the side of anti-theocracy yeah <laughs> it's like uh, what a hot take right i mean it's i mean you just can't 
I, I don't want any kind of government that's partnered with any kind of religion, regardless yeah. if I sanctioned the, or if, if I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. If I condone that religion or not. Yeah. I, I think it was the, the month of Trump's inauguration or right after. So early 2017. And I was reading Ghost of the Watchmen for the first time, nice, yeah. uh, which is for those who don't know, it's the grown up version of, of Scout Finch um, from Harper Lee's um, Go Out to Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And she's controversial, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because of like how the provenance of that book and whether or not she wanted it out yeah right. that's like, i liked it i thought it was yeah. a great book especially because it's, it. it's it, you should uh it, it, it alludes <laughs> to some of these topics that we've discussed today no i'm sure because she I, kind of goes back home and she sees the people for mm. who she maybe didn't see them as so she says this part here um she specifically scout is referring to um sort of people's racism and the, the combination of that with their christianity right mm. so she says why doesn't their flesh creep how can they devoutly believe everything they hear in church and then say the things they do and listen to the things they hear without throwing up i thought i was a christian but i'm not i'm something else and i don't know what everything i've ever taken for right and wrong these people have taught me these same these very people mm. so it's me it's not them something has happened to them mm. do you oh, find excuse me, something has happened to me yeah do you find that when you are when like let's say even people that you're close to, like intimately close or like friends or even perhaps acquaintances, when they ask you what you believe spiritually, do you find yourself openly admitting like, oh, I'm a follower of Christ or I'm a Christian? Or do you back away from those type of like labels and boxes? Well, I don't like the labels, but you know me. I mean, I'm an open book, so I'm not going to give someone a simple straight answer. I'm going to go through the I'm going to take them through my entire thought process from age 11 to 30 <laughs> and You're then like... if, and then after that they won't ask me any more questions and then I get left alone so oh no that's that, that's nice. the end goal yeah yeah I was just curious because I definitely went through like a, a time period where it wasn't that I didn't necessarily believe in God although there has been moments of my life that I still call myself a Christian and have experienced like agnostic doubts sure. uh, which I think are normal I think they're I actually think most people experience doubts and they just aren't honest about it. I think if more people mm -hmm. were honest, it would it would lift the the mist of shame off of a lot they of people. They have their own guilt that they haven't understood yet how and you know and that's sad, right? They deserve right. Like, I think people that haven't admitted that maybe they don't know everything. Mm. I wish that they didn't feel guilty or shameful. No. I wish they would say, you know, I don't have it all figured out. Right. And, and that's okay. Now, we can talk about it together. And yeah. I, I'll never reject someone's story or experience. I just want to hear what they have to say. I yeah. want to know what they think and we can work through it together because we are supposed to be a community. Right. I love that. Tyler, you're so rooted in love. I love that about you. We try. Like, let me try to understand their perspective. And I, yeah, I think for a long time I was really, I think even like on our, maybe our fourth or fifth day, my boyfriend and I were talking and I just said and this was like in March and I was like you know I, I'll be honest like I don't I believe in God I don't I don't know if God exists right now for me mm. I, I'm like kind of trying to piece all that together and like follow Jesus and um <laughs> I think at the time I actually did feel shameful in front of him to say that to him and he goes yeah. I appreciate that that's really honest um and I learned then and that kind of speaks to like the type of people I was dating I have dated other believers that weren't as open to those doubts that were more like well uh if you doubt then you don't you know then you're not a believer and i just don't think it's that binary i think when we no. bifurcate our understanding of faith and understand that everyone's on a faith journey um it really brings more nuance and you also just can't really to me from just a critical academic level the inerrancy of the Bible comes like full circle mm. and looking at the Bible from like a historical grammatical um, perspective rather than yes. a literal, you know, really helps. And it, 
it's funny to me, especially, like, growing up, like, we, growing up in, like, a more conservative faith tradition, one, you know, we've both spoken about, like, there's no room for doubt, but two, we also treat the Bible as this, like, multi-genre, multi-faceted instruction manual. Like, not only is the Bible, like, this science textbook in Genesis 1 and 2, which it's not supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but then it's, like, a sex manual in Song of Solomon. Uh And then, of course, (laughs) it's, like, you know, the Gospels and, like, all the different pieces and, like, instructional and the Pauline letters. And then you have, like, the sci-fi horror genre of Revelations. Yeah. And... It's never, one, that's never reconciled in any church sermon that I've ever been to. No. And it really wasn't until I think I heard Peter Enns and Rachel Held Evans talk about genres of the Bible um, and talk about there's poetry and there's parables and there's going right. to be firsthand accounts. And, like, it's okay that, like, none of this really reconciles because it's a book of books, basically. Yeah. And it, it it's not, um, I guess it's, like, not really disturbing to me or like maybe surprising is the better word there it's not surprising to me that then very devout christians who are more conservative in nature have such a hard time with science Um, because when you bifurcate things and you don't look Mm -hmm. at authorial intent or context it's very easy to read the bible as it is then like oh well jesus said this is bad is bad you know it's very reductionistic but then it leads no room for nuance and it leaves Mm -hmm. no room for the spectrum of faith interpretations or for all of God's children to show up and be seen. Exactly. Like, I remember being a kid and thinking that, like, you could not believe in science and religion at the same time, right. or science and Christianity, to the point that we were on a middle school field trip to, like, I don't know, some place with some scientific artifacts of some kind. And there was a lady, like a park ranger type person, giving us a presentation, and she was talking about, like, fossils and how old the fossils were, right? You know, 6,000 years. Millions or billions, right? So yeah. here's the thing. It's a room of 60 of us. And I think I'm I think I'm hot stuff, right? I raise my hand to ask a question. Well, this is probably before the total transformation. Oh, no. People were proud of this one. Buckle up. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I raise my hand and I say, how do you reconcile this science with the biblical truth that the earth is only four to 6,000 years old as traced through the such and such, whatever they told us it was yeah. based on. And I don't remember what the lady said because I was basking in the light of my own glow in, of intelligence, right? Yeah. And, and on the way We've out, like, but the thing is I, I felt so good because I had like owned this atheist, presumably like well, science been, lady. Yeah. And on the way out, the kids that, the kids that never talked to me, the kids that like had made fun of me in the past they're like yeah you showed that bitch who's boss like yeah. you told her and i was like what is happening right, right now but at the time I, I felt very i felt like empowered and right. i felt that's what it was supposed to be and now because it's like it's been conditioned that one you are a soldier in god's army uh-huh. and that you've taken up the cross and shield mm-hmm. and your only job is to either evangelize and tell people about jesus but then to also like deliver these brutal like clapbacks right. you know like like you're on an episode of bill maar you're right. like is there, I'm it's ready. very ben shapiro christianity yeah, like, that's I'm even gonna, a thing, you know yeah oh ben shapiro well, so my uh <laughs> my old pastor arthur jones uh described it described this in a way that i really like and think is good um he said that science and religion answer different questions science mm. tells us how and religion tells us why mm. and it's like well then the, of course you can believe them all and you can still question things right and in right. in the same way that i have to apply that intellectual debate uh, as a as a historian, as a history teacher, right? right? You mentioned the historical context of the Bible. I cannot trust fully the inerrancy and truth of any historical document of which right. the Bible is included. And I get in a lot of trouble for this because you're not supposed to say it. But I'm sorry if 
the, the the Bible was was written and modified and put together and and bound by people who had their own life and story and perhaps political and power aims of whatever time period it was, however many right. f- hundreds or thousands of years ago. Um, they were accounts passed down upon passed down, translated upon translated to different varieties for different political aims, uh, for different religious aims, which often are the same thing. And so an exercise I like to do is to think about if the Bible were being again modified today and passed on to generations hundreds of years from now, who would be the people today, the religious leaders of our time, who would be responsible for making those edits and changes? Mm-hmm. And what would their political powers and aims be? You'd have the Jerry Falwells, the Franklin Grahams, you'd have the Pat Robertsons, you'd have the, the uh, what's the guy at First First Baptist in Dallas? Jeffries. Uh, yeah, you'd have Jeffries. And these are, you, Donald, you would have Donald Trump. Like, yeah. These are not people who I trust to pass the word of Jesus. And so if we don't look at the Bible as inerrant, if we instead look at it as a historical document situated in its time and look at it for what is useful to us today and look at it for what wisdom can be drawn from it and look at it as something that points to Jesus, to me, that makes a lot more sense. The problem with that, though, is that you can't fit that on a sign that you can sell at Hobby Lobby. No. You know, like, that's the issue, right? Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And even, like, coming out of this as um, an English major than English teacher, you know, we even taught our students that you had to position works of literature Mm -hmm. as in their own context historically, you know. And so you can't read, like, for example, a very easy... You can't read, like, To Kill a Mockingbird without understanding historical context. You can't read The Great Gatsby and not understand the 1920s. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and the excessive um, consumerism of the 1920s. If you did, it'd be a very, if you didn't read it with that kind of framework and understanding what's happening, it'd be like a very odd thing to read. Like, oh, these people are just having parties. Gatsby obviously has like an obsessive issue. Yeah, I would agree like this inerrancy question. And, you know, there's just no honest dialogue. And I think that's Mm -hmm. even when I was, (laughs) my, um, my mom likes to watch Dr. Charles Stanley uh-huh. uh, on the TV every Sunday, sure, every sure. now and then, and we'll watch it together. I don't mind. But what I've noticed is for for pastors who are leading congregations who are really engaged in like the deep work of unpacking the Bible and context and providing more nuance, you know, those resources and leaders are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not at the forefront of the conversation. They're part of a vocal minority of Christians who are deconstructing some of the nationalism, some of the white supremacy, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. of the just, uh, honestly, just mistruth, this lies that I was brought up with. Yeah, this, and, this idea that God chose America above all other places and that, oh, yeah. like, that, um, that doesn't work like, for me. That no. doesn't, yeah, <laughs> and shockingly, like, a lot of countries have the same freedoms we have. Sure. Um, but I think for me at this point, it's, like, just trying to unpack some of the things I've internalized, um, meet people where they're at. It's funny because you mentioned like some of the people I've been critical about in the past and I, I, I actually think uh, us talking about kind of how we met and how our friendship grew, it's like, mm-hmm. like you just can't expunge everyone off your timeline because they don't evolve the same path or as quickly as you do. We're called to love. Yeah, and I, I'm really thankful I've had people like you. I've also had other friends who I think 
um, and it sounds cheesy and maybe a little bit more mystical than I'd want it to be, but like, I think God has put in my life for very clear reasons. And Mm -hmm. I think I've had friends like you and like, um, some friends outside of work that I won't like name drop on the pod, but like Brooke McKinney that have showed me like, Uh oh, there's different perspectives of Christianity. Like I wasn't raised with any other perspective of Christianity. I thought Mm -hmm. this is the very binary. This is the only way you believe if you don't believe and like get in line, this is how it works. Right. And I think like working in different places, um, and at different schools, one, not only expanded my worldview in terms of just like other people's experiences, but then also thankfully other people's faith journeys and I think like you Brent Ted have actually been huge influences of light and love and and, like understanding that it's okay to question and doubt like there's you're not inherently broken or wrong for like wanting to have bigger answers and um, understandings and and then like it led me down a path of seeking more you know like more nuanced viewpoints of Christianity and Mm -hmm. like and luckily I've you know especially here in Denver (laughs) like it's pretty progressive in terms of churches Um, they have churches here they have churches here yeah we don't we actually just all meet at the park we smoke a joint and then we sacrifice (laughs) a virgin it's just it's my hard to find those around yeah it's my week to bring the virgin so oh no yeah i think at the heart of christianity there should be a willingness to have honest dialogue and questioning um i don't think that's completely mutually exclusive to christianity that there is no honest dialogue i think that we're seeing that worldwide like people just are not good with nuance like we live in yeah. a we live in a soundbite tweet filled world in which we love having a clear hot take on something i sure. think even before we started talking we talked about what are our hot takes for the week and like yeah you know like it's very hot takes are meant to be very binary they're meant to be bifurcated so that you pick a side and i think i even think jerry worry a little bit because at one point i want to have children i'm like how do i raise my kids in a way that allows them to embrace the messiness of figuring out faith yeah while still like honoring some of the things that I grew up with and loved. Like I loved, genuinely loved going to VBS. Like genuinely yeah. loved it. Yeah. I genuinely loved going to youth group. I looked forward to going to youth group and I looked forward to going to like mission trips and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Me too. Even if they had some like long ten- like unintended long-term effects on me, I still enjoyed it. I think about that a lot of like, how do I shift away from like, God is this like omnipotent Santa Claus that's mm-hmm. just like making this list and he's going to cross you out. Right. Like if you just do this one bad thing and, it's just not how I think faith is really designed. Are you greeting people with love? Are you yeah. showing love to yourself? Are you extending your own consciousness to people that don't look like you? Are you participating in movements and charity and work that liberates, that's through the liberation of Christ, which that's kind of my understanding now, is that Christ came to liberate not only from our own sin, but from systems of oppression that perpetuated mm. that sin. Yeah, and I mean... Th- the, the church told us not to drink or swear or have sex or anything like that, but they never said to fight poverty and greed and right. to to walk alongside the least of the least of these. Right? They right. never they never told me to do those things. It was it was this moralistic church that judges me for getting a divorce while ignoring the 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 poverty and pain that exists in the name of America's religion of patriotism right. and profit. And instead like, of instead of analyzing the root causes of that, they want to say that America has drifted from God and that's our punishment right. which I don't believe to be true no. I don't think that I the, the God that I serve and, and choose to believe in is not a vindictive God who is casting mm-hmm. people out in lots to experience poverty or pain or trauma or, or what other ills that may befall upon them um, I think the people that propagate that web of lies are people that are 
highly rooted in the power and control of prosperity gospel. Yeah, it's this this deconstructing that some people would make us feel bad about. It's, I think it's ignored that we're also mourning. Oh, good you know point. what I mean. And like, and I had I I, like, I steal that point from from Brittany Burns. Uh, she said that to me. It's mm-hmm. like we are we are mourning something that was supposed to be so beautiful mm-hmm. that was that was destroyed and robbed from us and mm-hmm. robbed from this country and in 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 the name of things that are so far from. Yeah. Uh, from my Jesus, and when I see the statistics of, of um, you know, eighty some odd percent of evangelical Christians voted for Trump, and X number of that group, uh, uh, you know, rejects the migrant crossing the border, or uh, doesn't seem to take too big of an issue with bullying gay kids into suicide, or who doesn't care about drilling for oil in the Arctic because you know, they're for the jobs that the Arctic drilling will provide, and. And, right. and all of this is done in the name of conservatism, in the name of God, in the name of like this American Christianity that we have. And I cannot call myself a member of that group. Um, and I don't know yeah. what that means for us. Well, I think you missed the, the Bible verse. It's actually John three seventeen. It said, these colors don't run, baby. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I think there's been a deliberate and, and Tyler and I are both fresh off of Jesus and John Wayne by Christian mm-hmm. Demu. Um, who is in her own right an evangelical theological um, professor and wrote an entire book kind of dismantling how white supremacy and white evangelicalism fractured um, not only faith but our country. So I highly recommend that, incredibly well-researched. Helped me unpack a lot of my own kind of understanding about Christianity and faith. And then I also would highly recommend um, Beth Allison Barr's new book, which is about the subjugation of women, how that became the gospel truth. Mm. Um, she's a trained historian, historical his, history professor, um, whose husband was a youth pastor, and they were in, I think, Waco, Texas, actually, so it was kind of nice to read. Checks out. It's kind of close to home. Yeah. Um, I mean, as for me, in terms of, like, the afterlife... Um, I think to go back to that performative nature of like very immature faith was I kind of treated it like a like a vending machine. I'm like, oh, if I put all these quarters in, then I get to go to heaven. Um, or yeah. you know, if I don't, I go to hell. And I think it actually was Peter Enns that has kind of unpacked a lot of the hell piece for me because just the translation I think of hell in the Bible is. I think Gehenna, Gehenna. Mm-hmm. which yeah. refer- references like one of the valleys outside of Jerusalem where Israelites used to go do child sacrifices. Uh-huh. As and, we should. Yeah, and shockingly, God didn't like that. Yeah. And so, obviously, this is like kind of Old Testament canon, and then Jesus references that specifically because his followers would have been familiar with the imagery. So he's calling mm. imagery of judgment. And I think that partnered with like medieval theology became very heightened of like oh. torture and fire and all sorts of things um yeah, who knows if we got the translations right yeah i mean that's like, like one thing it's the so trans- it's just a simple answer almost i mean you can ask any kid that's trying to translate their spanish homework to google translate yeah. whether or not that translation nails it mm-hmm. um and like that's not even notwithstanding all the political motivations that were wrapped up into those translations yeah, politics politics of religion is not new in the last 50 years no. right like we have to we have to look at history as as constantly ongoing and the residue that that 
and it touches us now. Mm. Uh, there's no way that the people back then were insulated from the same things we're dealing no. with now, and therefore we have to reconcile with that. 100%. And even Beth Allison Mar- makes the argument in her new book that there was a female apostle, and because <gasps> of poor translation, um, it's been changed to a masculine name. It was Her name was Hunia. Paula. <laughs> her name was Karen. That checks out. <laughs> and she was just telling everyone how much she loved Jesus. She had that bedazzled wine tumbler, you know. Yeah, it was like the WWJD wine yeah, tumbler. Yeah, or like those bumper stickers that like the power of Christ drives this car or whatever, oh you know. It also probably says, I love my oil rig worker or like. That's, that, that's a clean burning Christ right I, there. <laughs> I, I love my army veteran. I should not. This is blasphemous. Yeah, we I We are mean, going to hell point, now, I think. It's just like. Her name is probably Misty with an I. Oh my God! Like, yeah, but I mean, I don't. I personally don't subscribe to eternal punishment. I always mm-hmm. kind of feel like a fraud. My boyfriend and I were talking about this when we, you know, say the Nicene Creed. It's like the life everlasting. Or, right. I, you know, I, I struggle. This is something I honestly just I, I still struggle with to kind of name and figure out. I love the idea that we do have life everlasting and that we would all go to a place in which. Um, you know, no tears are shed and like there's no gnashing of teeth or anything like that. I'm mostly concerned with how do I um, affect as much good and change as I can mm-hmm. currently in this life? Um, and then how do I make sure that my children are inheriting a skill set where they feel empowered to then, um, you know, keep pursuing that same sort of line of good and um, going forward? Yeah. And not contribute to things like white supremacy or Christian nationalism or... Because, mm. um, like, I probably will have white children. My boyfriend's white. And, shockingly, that I am is. white. <laughs> Helping them unpack, you know. And yeah. A lot of this didn't come from my family. It came from outside influences, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do I shield them but also allow yeah. them to be open to being changed? Um, I certainly won't be taking them to any Christian haunted houses, but... No. <laughs> Will they go trick or treating? Oh, absolutely. Okay, let me Mama know. Mama needs you, candy. Let me know when you go. <laughs> um, so I've been thinking a lot about how we were raised to think about God, and maybe who God actually is, what he, she, they, whatever, like actually uh, wants us to do. Um, and so, it, one thing I hold on to from I was probably fifteen or sixteen, and uh, you know, growing up in the in the Baptist church. Uh, and there's again, there's plenty of things I take from that that I agree with, but it was always like angry God, make you feel guilty kind of stuff, uh, always talk of hell, and I don't know what I even think about heaven or hell. Like if if I see the Bible as a historical document that I can't totally 100% trust, then that also has to challenge my notions of what heaven and hell and the afterlife are. Um, I, one of my hot takes is that Earth is hell, that this is the test, um, and that if this place is actually a test and is actually hell and it's that and it's as bad as it is because even the good stuff is kind of bad on earth um like even the great moments are like ah, it still kind of sucks because i have like bills and stuff like that is this season five of the good place sure yeah, yeah. oh great show they did yeah. such a wonderful job i think yeah uh, with that so I, when i think about this place like potentially being the test to me there has to be an afterlife in which it's way better you know what i mean like there's got to be something else out there i don't i've been going to methodist church for the last almost 10 years and again not to say any particular denominations right or wrong because i think we just choose what works for us but to me it's it's been more of the the graceful and loving god and it's hard for me to imagine a graceful and merciful god 
that sends people to hell. Um, Even in the paradigm that you listed where this is the ultimate test, do you feel like, like, Earth is the current iteration of that test? Do you feel like that is a vestige of your old operating system? Yes. That you have to earn God's love and prove yes. that you are worthy to God? Absolutely. Yeah. That's why it's such a, like, my brain is all messed up all the time because it, of this. Well, it's not messed up. You're, you're trying to reconcile two very disparate understandings of God and right. the nature of God. And I think it's completely normal to be like, okay, well, yeah, like, God loves us, but, like, God loves us so much he's going to give us this test. Sure. You know, and, like, he's going to, he's going to, like, suss out who's really worthy because, like, <laughs> and I got my eye on it, God, don't worry. I figured yeah. out the, t- I've gotten, you know, I see through your ruse. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think it's, like, clever. And it's both equal parts, like, sweet and clever, but also kind of foolish that you think that, like, that's God's big plan. Well, yeah, our brains are so small that we can't even understand Oh, yeah, I mean, I've got, like, seven brain brain cells working in here. Sure, and, like, sure. three of them are pretty much just, like, focused on the next meal, which it's is your pizza. It's your lady brain. You know, I, I do think that, you know, angels and stuff like that exist mm-hmm. in the sense that there are people who, there are, there are beings watching over us that are, mm-hmm. that are agents of God or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because we also, we also personify God, right? Like... Wait, that's just so, again, our dumb little finite human brains <laughs> right. can actually create and assign meaning to something that cannot be assigned meaning to mm-hmm. or assigned uh, human characteristics. It's and also the possibility guys. that, yeah, it's yeah. also the possibility that, like, I don't think the quote-unquote Christians have it all figured out or even me as a follower of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. who's to say that we're the only religion in the whole world that gets it somewhere close to right? right. Does that mean every Buddhist and Muslim and whoever else is going to burn an eternal hellfire? I sure hope not because that doesn't sound like my God. Mm-hmm. And so I think of it like I was in 15 or 16 years old uh, and I was having a bad day and I was outside. Uh, I walked outside the Raisin Canes, original Raisin Canes in Baton Rouge where I was with a friend, with several friends. Um, and one of them had upset me. Shout out to Daniel Lockhart. Um, I hope he threw a cane sauce right at his head. No, I would never do such a thing. No, it's a waste of good cane sauce. Um, and... So something had upset me. I go outside. I'm kind of just like cooling off a little bit. And this uh, this homeless guy walks up to me. And I was like, oh, God. And uh, he's like, hey, man, how's it going? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't really want to burden you with my problems. Because <laughs> I felt like he was asking me to tell him what was going on. And so he's like, it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me know. And so I tell him, you know, my friends upset me. You know, I'm kind of dealing with X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Girl problems, blah, blah, blah. And he says... I'll never forget this. He says to me, hey, does God give you a second chance? I said, yes, of course. He said, no. He gives you another chance. Mm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The eternal mercy and the eternal grace Mm. that, if you believe in in the Christian paradigm, that is given to us from the cross and the resurrection, Mm -hmm. and that carries into all human history throughout the future, certainly... Certainly, my graceful God does not light us all on fire at the end, especially if we yeah. make a good faith effort to figure it out. You know, like, I don't even know if there is a God or a heaven or a hell, and my goal has always just been to do the best that I can while I'm here and to live like Jesus despite the people who showed me Jesus calling me a radical for living like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to take in the beauty that exists in the world and then the people around me. Um, I want unhurried time with the people I care about most. I want to show as much love as I can. Um, I'm not in any rush to 
figure out what happens next or to go wherever we go <laughs> next. Um, but whatever beyond awaits, I hope only for more time with the people I love. You know, I, I started this by sharing that, uh, and you agreed, that there was some loneliness that we felt mm -hmm. uh, uh, as we went through this journey of, of deconstructing, yet trying to hold on to the aspects of our faith that are meaningful to us. Um, and for me, it's it, the more the more I leave evangelicalism, the more I find Jesus, and that's okay with me. Um, mm -hmm. Now I remember when we were kids, uh, you know, they had those WWJD bracelets, mm -hmm. and it, it's such a simple little thing to think about. What would Jesus do? And I, you know, I wore one when I was a kid, and I, I don't suppose I even cared or thought that much of it at the time. Um, but as I got older and as I saw the world differently and my politics changed and my faith changed, uh, I felt increasingly alone in that WWJD way of thinking. Um, and not long ago, one of my dear friends, Samuel, sent me one of those bracelets in the mail, and I'm wearing it now. Um, and as I've gone on this journey and as I will probably continue into my dying day, um, joined on that path by Samuel and you and so many others, I don't feel so alone anymore. Mm -hmm.